Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. God gave us a vision for this conference when I was 36 years old. Because at the age of 36, I wanted to make room for the next generation. And I was the next generation. But I did not want to make room for myself. I wanted to make room for young, up-and-coming, called men and women of God. One way we did that was to invite Gateway and Urshan College Corral. And they'll be here Saturday. And uh, we're going to look forward to their ministry And the last thing I want to say about the last 25 years is uh, how the Queen Marlene has stood by my side, and she's made a lot of incredible meals. A lot of late night meals at our house, staying up all hours. And of course, as Caleb mentioned, we give honor to our anchor speaker, Lee Stone King. The, the, uh, the Bible doesn't say it, but it should be in the Bible. The rising tide lifts all the boats. And Brother Stone King's anointing and rising tide has just blessed this whole region. And uh, I don't know if he's watching tonight, but we love Brother Stone King and his heart is here. Amen. So everybody that's going to help me preach may be seated by saying amen at least one time. I'm continuing the message tonight so ably and masterfully started by our student pastor, Caleb, on the next prophetic generation. And what a unique opportunity it is to blend my voice with his and to see what God will say and do. And we're feeling the overflow of his message tonight. My latest obsession is succession. It's what I'm dreaming about. It's what I'm talking about. It's what I'm talking to others about. Apostolic succession is as apostolic as Acts 2.38. It's as apostolic as the oneness of God. Succession is as apostolic as water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so that being said, it's amazing to me that the apostolic movement in general is not very good at releasing and empowering and believing in the next generation. This is a challenge, if not a problem. And we've got to get better at handing off to the next generation. It's not a problem here because for 25 years, we believed in the next generation. For 25 years, we've tried to create opportunity for young up and coming ministers to preach and to fly, if not at least flap their wings a little bit. So this collaborative message tonight by pastor, student pastor Caleb and I is an attempt to demonstrate how generations that partner together can be successful and powerful and blessed by God as opposed to generations that can't seem to communicate, generations that can't seem to connect, generations that can't seem to get on the same page 
and split and fall out and refuse to collaborate and go their separate ways for one reason or another. I know what I'm talking about tonight. I know what I'm preaching about tonight. And I first want to challenge every pastor, every student pastor, every Sunday school teacher, every church board member, every leader in every church, every usher, every greeter, anybody that's doing anything for God, don't be a one and done. Don't let it happen to you. Don't be a turf protector. Huh? Come on, don't be a trophy celebrator. Amen. Be a believer in the next generation. Why? Because nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming. Why do I need to believe in the next generation? Because nobody else is coming. They're already here. They're already among us. Why don't we start believing, empowering, trusting, releasing the next generation? My obsession is succession. Jesus trained his next generation of leaders. And then he resigned. Well, actually, he he died. And then they rose up after he rose up. And they were filled with the spirit. And they did exactly what he said they would do. They reached their world. Paul trained his next generation of leaders. There are 17 of them named in scripture. And then he retired. Uh, Well, he actually was executed. But not before he had raised up his Timothy generation. Peter trained his next generation of leaders. And he made the handoff to Mark's generation and Mark himself. And then he retired. Well, he actually was crucified upside down. So we don't get to choose our exit, but we do get to choose who will succeed us. It's apostolic. It's apostolic to have a say in who succeeds you. Brother Herring, you're raising a great church, Revival Tabernacle in Frisco. And you're in your 40s. And J.T. Pugh said, uh, when a young preacher, uh, glory, uh, gets to be about 43, he wants to uh, climb a mountain. And you're climbing a mountain. And it's interesting, when I was 43, that's when we launched our campaign to relocate. Uh, And we went from 15,000 square feet to 50,000 square feet and 11 acres to 50 to 83 acres. And if we were to rebuild this building today, our contractor told me the other day it would take $12 million. I'm not saying that for anything but to say that there are great opportunities ahead. What God has done for me, he will do for you. What God did for my elders, he has done for me and more. And I was seeking God and I was praying and I said, God, who's going to be my successor? I'm thinking about this in my thirties. I'm thinking about this Lord. Who am I going to hand this church off to? And the Lord spoke to me and said, duh. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've ever been dud by God. 
He said, what about that 16-year-old that Charlie Mahaney just laid hands on and said, Justin, come up here. I want to lay hands on you. The dual anointing of your grandfathers, Charles Dyson and Wendell Gleason is going to come on you. And this was at the old church. And when he laid hands on Justin, I'd never seen Justin act like this, but he basically went down like a two by four and he went somewhere for 20 or 30 minutes. And my father was a teacher and my father-in-law was a prophet. And that's exactly what grew up in my house, eating Cheerios at my breakfast table every morning. And God said, why are you looking for a successor? I've got him right under your feet. I've got him right under your nose. He's got your spirit. He's got your anointing. He's caught. He respects you. Why would I not want to place my hand upon that man. I'm telling you, God is in the succession business. God is challenging you tonight. Amen. If you're raising kids, give him your blessing. Don't withhold your blessing, but pray for them. Speak into their future and tell them great and mighty things the way that God is going to use them. Moses had a Joshua. Moses believed in the next generation. He raised up a team. He appointed captains of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. It's amazing. He shared the ministry with them. And they together served the nation of Israel. And then under the direction of the Lord, as we're preaching tonight, Moses selected 70 elders who were respected among the people, but they weren't anointed yet. They had civil respect and community respect, but they needed to be anointed. And together, they went into the prayer meeting and the Shekinah glory came down upon Moses. And then God took a part of that anointing that was on him and he distributed it among the 70 And they began to prophesy. Moses was a prophet. And they caught his anointing. And they began to move and operate in the prophetic. And I just want to say right here. And quote Mark Batterson who said. The more we pray. The more prophetic we will become. And the less we pray. The more pathetic we will become. So I've come to ask you a question. Do you want to be pathetic or do you want to be prophetic? There's only one way to catch a prophetic anointing. You have to come under it and then you have to get it. You have to catch it. You have to receive it. Like Joshua, you have to walk around and serve it. You have to observe it. You got to watch. You got to pay attention. You know, how many que- you know how many conversations I had with my pastor? Three. He never took me to lunch. He never had a class for me in my local church. But I never took my eye off him. Don't sit there and be a victim and say, well, nobody invested in me. Nobody ever took me out to lunch. You know, I was raised by the World War II generation, the greatest generation And there were just some things you had to catch. There were just some things you you just had to watch. There were just some things you had to pay attention to. And any time you could get on a front row, get on the front row. And any time you could take notes, take notes. 
Nobody takes notes anymore except Brother Herring's kids. They were all taking notes on Pastor Caleb. They wrote a commentary, an entire commentary in the book of Numbers while Caleb was preaching. Taking notes. Six-year-old and seven-year-old. Taking notes. There's just some things you've got to catch it. Don't sit there and say, well, my daddy is not anybody. My mom hasn't accomplished much in her life. That's a loser's mentality. Amen. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has first generation children. And the hand of God is upon every one of you. And if you want to catch and get what Caleb was preaching about tonight, you can have it. But you got to get the spirit of Eldad and me, Dad. You got to have that lingering spirit. You got to have that spirit that says, I know everybody left, but I'm not going to leave until I get just a little bit more of it. Amen. This is not a game. You got to hit the prayer room. You got to fast and seek God and catch what you can catch. I prayed today. I prayed today, God, I want, I want something that happens at this conference. I want little Melina to never forget it. I want little Cohen to never forget it. I want little Marigold and Rosemary. Maybe they're old enough to remember something. Caleb told me today, he was about five years old. Jeff Arnold preached a camp meeting. I was district superintendent. He said, I still remember, Dad, you talk about how Jeff Arnold was a great magician. Well, it's not exactly what I wanted him to remember, but he was. And he remembered something. Praise God. Come on, just, just reach your hands in the air right now. Say, God, I want to catch something. I want to, I want to get a hold of something. I want, to, I want to be a L-dad and a me-dad. Thank you, Caleb, for unpacking that. You've got to have the L-dad and the me-dad spirit. Amen. Others may already walked out of the prayer meeting, but I'm not leaving just yet. Others may have went back to the tabernacle, but I can't go back there just yet. I like what I feel. I've got to linger in this presence. Come on. You've got to understand that. That's not something that can be taught. That's not something that's going to be dictated. You either got it or you don't got it. It. You either have it or you don't have it. You either catch it or you don't catch it. That's the way the apostolic church works. So Moses has a Joshua. Paul had a Timothy. Elijah had an Elisha. David had a Solomon. Abraham had an Isaac. Moses had a Joshua. And Joshua had nobody. Nobody. How's that possible? As awesome as he was, something happened after Joshua died. Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110. When all that generation, that means his contemporaries, had been gathered to their fathers, that means died. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done in Israel. Perhaps... This is the saddest verse in the Bible. 
How is it possible that Joshua had an awesome leader like Moses? Moses chosen. Moses was directed by God to select him. And now he's pouring everything he's got into Joshua. And basically he's saying, Joshua, what I'm doing with you, I want you to turn around and do with the next generation. It's very important that the next generation has a leader like your generation has a leader and like my generation has a leader. But the Bible said that when Joshua died, there arose a generation that did not know the Lord nor the works which he had done in Israel. It's unconscionable to me that Joshua could be mentored by such a powerful man who spoke face to face as with God as his friend. And when he died, the children of Israel went into a period of judges, which is about 400 years of a spiritual roller coaster when they were backslid much more than they were serving God. And I've come to challenge somebody tonight and say that it's time for you, Joshua, the Joshua generation, to find your successor. It's time for you to start investing. You say, well, I'm only 30 years old. Well, Jesus was only 33. If you're in your 30s and you're not discipling anybody, what are you waiting on? If you're in your 20s and you're not discipling anybody, what are you waiting on? If you're a teenager and you don't have your hands on a lost person that needs God, what are you waiting on? We're talking about disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Amen. Amen. Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, the things that I've committed to you, you commit to faithful men who will teach others also. In one verse, 2 Timothy 2, 2, there's four generations. Apostolicness is generationalness. That wasn't very good English, Dr. Larmy, but it's true. It's true. This is the apostolic spirit. Whatever God has given you, you turn around and you invest it intentionally in somebody else. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ who said in John 14, 12, he said to his disciples, the things that I'm sharing with you, the things that I'm imparting with you, the things that I'm giving to you, I want you to turn around and do these same things with other people. And he said, the works that I'm doing, you're going to do them and you're going to do them better than I ever did it. Your revival's going to reach further than my revival ever did. Amen. Jesus never traveled outside of of. Galilee and Judea and Samaria, but the apostles went all over the world. (laughs) Every generation should take everything to a new place because of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Joshua trained nobody. And I've lived long enough to see great apostolic churches that don't exist anymore. Don't say it couldn't happen. It's already happened. Great, united, oneness, Pentecostal congregations that don't exist anymore. 
because there arose a generation after Joshua died that knew not the Lord, nor the works that he did in Israel. When I was preaching youth camps back in the depression, I used to preach a message I entitled one generation from extinction. It only takes one generation to lose the Acts 238 gospel. It only takes one generation to lose demonstrative worship. It only takes one generation to lose holiness the way that we love it and we believe in it. Like Pastor Caleb preached, a man's a man and a woman's a woman. And God has ordered creation that when he looks at a man, he wants to see a man. And when he looks at a woman, he wants to see a woman. And the full orbed imagery of God is not even possible unless a man marries a woman. And the Bible said when a man marries a woman, that is honor in the Lord. And that is the full imagery of God. You can't even see the full imagery of God. If a man marries a man and if a woman marries a woman, I'm going to tell you today, it's a curse by God because it slams the door in the face of the creator. And here at the Life Church, we love everybody. We're not condemning anybody. We're not sending anybody to hell. We want everybody to be saved. We want everybody to make it. But we are not going to compromise our revelation of what we understand to be the truth of the Word of God. It can all be lost in one generation. Don't tell me that it can't happen here. It happened in the organization that we came out of. The holiness movement. This particular denomination has split over homosexuals in the ministry. And I'm so glad God can save to the uttermost. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it. I don't know what happened to Joshua. Maybe it was insecurity. Maybe he was afraid of competition. Maybe he loved to hold on to the power until it was pried from his cold, clammy, dead hands. Could it be that he made no investment in anyone else because he just didn't see the need to or recognize gifts in a potential young protege like Moses did in him. Joshua and the apostles did not view their protégés as problems. They did not see their disciples as disasters. They did not perceive their understudies as underqualified. They were not in competition with their disciples, but they were in collaboration. They did not see their successors as immature and unprepared and wet behind the ears and unproven and unskilled and threats to their thrones. But they saw their successors as mature, equipped, trained, powerful, and ready to step up and lead. They perceived the next generation leaders as mighty image bearers of truth. And they felt like someday soon, they were going to be leaving truth and the church 
and good hands. One day, Jesus looked at the disciples. He said, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do in greater things than these shall you do. First Peter 2, 9, this was Peter's version. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Does it sound like he believes in somebody? A holy nation, God's own special people. I want to give somebody a ministry tonight. Why don't you start walking up to people that look a little discouraged and say, I believe in you. This world crushes people. This world destroys people. It takes hope out of people. Why don't you make it your ministry? I was youth secretary in the Wisconsin district. And I preached a move the mission kickoff offering. It used to be called She's for Christ. There was a couple hundred kids there. and We made an altar call and I was praying And I looked up and there was about a 12 year old girl sitting on the second row from the back. And I left all those kids and I walked back there. I sat in the bench in front of her. I turned around. I offered my hand to shake her hand. She had a sweet little thin wimpy handshake. Well, why not? She's 12 years old. I said, my name's Stan. What's your name? She told me her name. I said, how come you didn't join us for prayer? She said, my parents are getting divorced. She said, my world's burning down. I can't even see my way clear to tomorrow. I wouldn't even be here if my friend hadn't called me up and drug me to church. I looked at her and I said, God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has purpose for your life. God can take your brokenness and he can put it all back together if you'll give him all the pieces. So fast forward about 30 years. My wife and I are back in the Wisconsin district to speak at, a next gener- at their district conference and we attended a banquet and Brother Soto said, now go out and meet somebody you don't know and I'm walking, I'm shaking hands and a woman comes up to me. She said, you don't remember me, Brother Gleason, but when I was 12 years old at a Move the Mission rally, you came back to where I was sitting. And she said, my world was burning down. And she said, I will never forget the hope that you gave me. She said, I will never forget the feeling that you gave to me. She said, she said, And because I can never forget the feeling you gave me, I decided right then and there, that is going to be my ministry. I'm going to give the same feeling to somebody else that Stan Gleason gave to me. And she said that gave me purpose. Amen. And she said, for the last 30 years, I've been trying to do for others what you did for me. And can I tell you something? The only reason I have any memory of that moment is because she reminded me of it. I have absolutely no memory of it. But I'm telling you that that big things can happen in little conversations. When you look at somebody and say, I believe in you, you have a purpose. God is calling you. You have a destiny. Hallelujah. It's the way that Jesus changed the world. The scripture talks about old men and young men. And what are old men for and what are young men for? 
The Bible is the best book ever written on generational collaboration. It has quite a bit to say about transition from generation to generation. By the way, I'm not going to let the world steal a good word. And we be holding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of our God. The word change is metamorphosis or metamorpho, for which we get the word metamorphosis. And I'm here to tell you, transition is still a good apostolic biblical world. It means going from one substance to another, to go from an old creature to a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Don't let the world steal our vocabulary. Forty-three times the Bible uses the phrase generation to generation. It says things like, keep this covenant from generation to generation. This is the day to remember every year from generation to generation. This is a permanent law for you from generation to generation. This must be done from generation to generation. Yahweh's salvation is from generation to generation. Yahweh's kingdom and dominion is from generation to generation. Pass this story down from generation to generation. God's mercy is on them who fear him from generation to generation. There's something very interesting that happens in the National Football League every year for the last 50 years. It happened again just a couple weeks ago. The 1972 Miami Dolphins are the only undefeated team from the kickoff of the first game to the sounding of the last gun in that Super Bowl of that year. They were 14-0 during the regular season. They had three playoff wins, including a Super Bowl win versus the Washington Redskins for a perfect 17-0 season. That has never been duplicated. And they don't want it to be duplicated. They don't even want the current Miami Dolphin team to go undefeated and break their record. In fact, every time the last undefeated team loses a game, like the Eagles did a few days ago, they gather somewhere and raise a toast. Can you see Don Shula right front and center with a sweater vest? What are they doing? They are celebrating the defeat of a winner. And I'm speaking to my generation. It's time to start celebrating the victories, the wins, the conquering, the overcoming of the next generation. I'm not going to rejoice when somebody falls. I'm not going to rejoice when somebody loses. David said, oh, how the mighty 
have fallen. It was even his worst enemy. And David moaned it. Why? Because he was a kingdom thinker. He was a kingdom man. He believed in celebrating the goodness of God. He said that the goodness of God, amen, is from generation to generation. Hallelujah. Come on. Do I have anybody here? You're going to stop celebrating the defeats. Come on. Let's stop the gossip. Let's stop the bad news parade. Let's start celebrating good things. I went on a news app the other day. I just scrolled down through. I could not find one positive, good headline. Everything was negative. Somebody's in adultery. Somebody's a crook. Somebody did this. Somebody did that. TW. T.F. Tenney said, bad news can get around the world twice before good news can get his boots on. I got good news. There's a generation here tonight that's rising. There's a generation here tonight. It's you. It's you. Nobody else is coming. You're the one he wants. You're the one he's calling. So Jesus sends out the 70 by two. He says, I want you to go cast out devils. I want you to go lay hands on the sick. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to declare peace every house you walk into. And if they receive you, stay there. If they don't, shake the dust off your feet. No skin off your nose. Just walk out of there. Don't cast your pearls before a swine. And so they go out and Jesus doesn't go with them. What's going on? This is a test run for how is the church going to operate when I'm gone? This is an experiment. This is the man who's teaching, training, who's got his life invested and his blood. Where's, where's my Daniel? Daniel, how many pints of blood or quarts of blood are in a human body? Six quarts? Six-ish quarts. Depending on how many miles of veins you've got running. Yeah, he poured his life out. Is the church going to work? Is this thing going to work? And so he sends them out and they come back and they're shouting. They're rejoicing. They were excited. Jesus said, give me a full report, boys. It's time to check in. It's time to report. How did it go? They said, oh, Lord, the devils were subject to us. We cast out devils and we healed the sick. And Jesus said, now, boys, hold on a minute. He said, that's great, but the greatest thing is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm going to tell you that every preacher I've ever heard preach that text makes it sound like Jesus was a wet blanket and raining on their parade. It's like, 
Now, don't get too excited. You know, I'm the only one around here that can cast out devils. I'm the only one. You know, nobody's cast out a devil till I stepped on the scene. Nobody's healed the sick till I stepped on the scene. Was Jesus throwing a wet blanket on their party? Was he trying to dumb down their celebration? No, he was just prioritizing. What they should have said was, Lord, we can see how this gospel is going to work and names are going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. But then when you saved them, Lord, you delivered them. You brought them out. You healed them. Devils were cast out and all these amazing things happened. Maybe that's what they should have done. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus was not trying to discourage them. He was not trying to throw a wet blanket on their party. He just wanted to make sure that they put first things first like he did when he said to the lame man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then secondly, he said, now rise up and take up your bed and walk. He was taking care of the priority. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible says in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced. Do you know what the word rejoice means? Does it mean Jesus was like, oh, what else you got? Oh, that ain't no big deal. I've been doing that for three and a half years. No, no, no. The word rejoice means exuberant joy. <laughs> I don't even think you want me to act like Jesus acted. Do you want me to act like what that word actually means? The way, now this is Jesus. Don't you think for a minute that Jesus had no emotion? Don't you think for a minute that Jesus was like, you know, that, that, that artist that depicted him in the Garden of Gethsemane without a hair out of place and like he just got his suit from the dry cleaners. Can I tell you that if you would have saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you would have seen passion. You would have seen purpose. You would have seen dirt in his fingernail. You would have seen his hair matted in his sweaty face. You would have seen a man with mud and dirt stains on his knees. And the Bible said in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. Here's what he's doing. Woo! Yeah! It's gonna work. It's gonna work. It's going to work. My kingdom has come. It's going to work. And I'm telling you right now, can I have a little more volume? I'm telling you right now, it still works. Devils will still come out. Sicknesses will still go. ha. <laughs> Glory to God. So I bring my message to a close. You may be seated. Joe asked the king of Israel. He hears that Elisha is dying. Elisha is in his 90s. Whoever's assigned to the keyboard, Ethan, thank you. He's in his 90s. And he's been the prophet to God's people, Israel, I think for 63 years. But he's got one more prophecy in him. He's got one more prophecy. 
I got one more, Lord. Send the king to me. Send Joash to me. I want to prophesy over him before I die. I want to prophesy victory. I want to, I want to prophesy that his enemies are going to be defeated. He will turn his heart toward me. Lord, the people will be okay. One day, Joash darkens Elisha's door. And when he sees the shaking, withered, aged prophet, probably laying in a bed. The Bible said he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Where have we heard that before? That's what his mentor, when his mentor was caught away in a chariot of fire, that's what Elisha had said when Elijah was caught away. It captures Elisha's imagination. He visualizes the moment when his elder dropped a mantle on him. The spirit of prophecy comes upon him. He's got one more prophecy. He's got one more declaration. And he says to the young man, he said, get your bow. And I want you to aim it out that eastern window. Now you see, Elisha's old. He can't draw the bow. He's not strong enough. But he's got a young man that can draw the bow. And so he says, I'm wanting you to aim that arrow out through the eastern window. And I want you to pull back that bow as far as you can. And I want you to shoot it in a trajectory that will go as far as it can go. Because he said, my son, God is going to give you the victory over the Syrians and over all your enemies that surround you. But you've got to draw the bow. And so he places his hands on Joash's hands. All right, draw the bow. And Joash's hands. Joash draws the bow and Elisha's hands are shaking, but he feels the power. He feels the strength. He feels the energy. It's the collaborative effort of the strength of the young generation and the wisdom and the skill and, and, and the anointing. It's the hands that are on top of his hands that are sending this arrow to sure victory. And he releases it. And he says, give me those arrows. He says, young man, now I want you to take the arrows and I want you to smite them on the ground. Just stay there, Caleb. I want you to take the arrows in your quiver and I want you to smite them on the ground. And the Bible says, 
Hey, how about that? I prophetically had the exact amount of arrows. And the Bible says that Joash weakly smote the arrows. Tap, tap, tap. It took Elisha's breath away. My God, man. I just, I just helped. You drew back the bow. You're so strong. Where's your passion? Where, where, where's, where's your intent? I didn't tell you how many times to smite him, but all I got was three lousy taps after I prophesied to you, after I declared ultimate victory for you, and all you can give me is three lousy taps on the ground. He said, now you will not have total victory over your enemies because you only tapped three times. He said, but if you would have tapped five or six, I would have given, God would have given you ultimate victory over all your enemies. It's one thing to draw back the bow with the hands of the prophet on your hands. But then there comes a time when you got to take the arrow in your own hand and you have to decide, do I want to conquer? Do I want to win? Do I want to catch the spirit of Eldad and Medad? Do I want to get an intercessory prayer life? Amen. Do I want to be prophetic or pathetic? Do I want to reach my generation or not? Do I want to cast out devils? Do I want to lay hands on the sick? Do I want to go make disciples? Do I want to tear down strongholds? Do I want to take out kingdoms? Come on, you heard Pastor Caleb talk about three spirits that are loose in the world. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And we need your generation. My generation can't defeat it. It's a devil for your generation to be defeated. And you shall defeat it when you take the arrows of faith and the spirit of Eldad and Medad and you consecrate to the Lord. Emmanuel, show me what you got. Come on, get into it. I don't care if you break it. Isaac, what do you got? Come on, Aid, what do you got? Get up here. David, what do you got? Josiah, what do you got? Braden, what do you got? Harrison, what do you got? Jackson, what do you got? Come on. We got to get all of it. We got to have a generation that's going to rise up and catch a spirit of an anointing. Come on. I want this altar to fill up right now with this generation. Come on. All right, guys, lay the arrows down and lift up your hands. You beat the arrows in faith. Some of you broke your arrow. That's good. Now I want you to cry out to God. Come on, let's go. I want the pastors and the fivefold ministry and the parents and the children's pastors and the youth pastors. Who's ever here? I want you to be led by the Spirit now to lay a hand on your children and your grandchildren. Amen. If you've got a calling to raise up the next generation, 
then come on up here and lay your hands on them and impart some spiritual gift. That's it. That's it, Harrison. Nothing coming on you right now, son. Come on, Braden. You gotta get it. You're third generation. It's on you. Don't you ever walk away from a generational blessing. That's it, David. That's it, Demi. Get it. Come on, Josiah. Let's go. No more goofing around. Get into it. That's it, Aiden. You got it, son. You got it. Yes. Come on, Emmanuel. Come on, Emmanuel. This is your identity. This is who you are. This is your purpose. Come on, Isaac. What a fine young man you are. We believe in you guys. The church believes in you. That's it, Caitlin. We believe in you, Caitlin. See God. We believe in you, Noel. In the name of Jesus. We believe in you, kids. We believe in you, Tavia. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> oh, we believe in you, Andre. You got it. You got it. Now go do it. Now go do it. You got the power. Palabata la boshora bakata la la basata yana basata. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Come on, Josiah. You got to pray for more than three minutes. It's going to take more than that. Don't just pray to get a blessing. Pray to be used by Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.